stand up and praise the King this morning. This wonderful Sunday morning. I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying the weather this last couple weeks. I'm going to have to bottle it up. Before we know it, we're going to blink. It's going to be 100 degrees outside. So we're going we're gonna to absorb all of this that we can. But let's praise the King. Let's praise the one that created this earth, that created us, that breathed life into us after he formed us in the dirt. and breathed life. What an amazing King. What an amazing God. In the midst of the trial, in the midst of the trouble, we worship him and praise him. He makes a place for you and sets a table for you in the midst of your enemies. So don't even worry about it. Don't even stress out over it. Don't, don't freak out about it. whatever problems that are going on. It doesn't matter how big they are, how horrible they are. He's still king and he's in control. Amen. Let's praise him. Oh! 
Now 
unto him who is able. Hallelujah. 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 Let there never be a day that I don't rise to bring you praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Cause when I Sometimes we get we get that uh, memory loss, I call it. And we forget about all the things that God has brought us through. All we can see is right in front of us. All we can see is the problem that's right in front of us. We don't remember all the things that he parted the water, parted the Red Sea so that we can walk through it. We don't remember all the times that he manna fell from heaven when we said there was no food left in the house. Somehow, all of a sudden, there was enough food. We don't remember sometimes when we were sick and we didn't think, you know, we just couldn't even see how we would get better. And all of a sudden, the next day we wake up and we're, we're feeling better. We forget those things. We're just human. It's our nature. We forget about those things. But if you look back, it's always good to look back and say, you know what, God, I remember those things. That way, when you come into the next situation, you can look Satan square in the eye and say, oh, yeah, but see, I didn't forget. I didn't forget when he delivered me. I didn't forget... I remember when he healed me and he healed my family. I didn't forget. And everything starts to fade away because your eyes are placed on the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So let's sing that again. When I think of all you've done and all the battles you've brought me over, hallelujah. Storms, it's all you 
let me fall. Now unto him who is able. Hallelujah. Oh. And let there never be a day that I don't rise to bring you praise. Hallelujah.
what it says there, what you're singing. It says, let all the redeemed. Who are the redeemed? Those who are born again by the Spirit of God. Those who are followers of Christ. It says, let all the redeemed, what? Prophesy. Prophesy is to declare, to speak forth. To speak forth on, the, on one's behalf. The gift of prophecy is that. But prophesy. In other words, make a declaration. And so he's saying prophesy and sing that we can hear the wind blowing. Those aren't just words to a song. Well, they could be just words to a song. But there is a, there is a specific thing that's being, we're saying there. We're, we're saying it's time for the church, the redeemed, to begin to prophesy and sing. We can hear the wind blowing. What is the wind? It is the Spirit of God. It is the breath of God. It is the move of God. And we say, move upon our praise, sons and daughters, sing. We can hear the wind blowing. So there's two things I want you to see there right now because we're getting ready to do that very thing. First of all, can you hear the wind blowing? Because let me tell you something. I listen to a lot of Christians. I read a lot of stuff that they, and they're, you know what they're hearing? They're not hearing the wind of heaven. They're not hearing the voice of heaven. They're not hearing the sound from the throne. They're hearing all that the media's got to say, all the social media is saying, and they're repeating all of that. We need a people who hear the voice of God, who hear the, the breath of God, hear the wind of the Spirit, and it's beginning to blow. And we need to be able to say in light of what we see, in light of what we're hearing in the natural realm or, or even your family or anyone else, I can hear the wind blowing. I want to breathe upon us, fresh, oh God. Breathe upon us. Let your breath blow across this nation. Let your breath blow across our churches. Let your breath blow across the families and the marriages and all of the people, Lord God. We need a fresh wind. And so the, the, the word says, let the redeemed prophesy. It's time to prophesy. It's time to declare. It's time to speak forth that which you hear. And, and I'm telling you, I, I'm reminded of the prophet who, when he was looking for rain, he was praying for rain. Seven times he sent his servant to go look. Six times he came back and said, there's no clouds. There can't be any rain if there's no clouds. The seventh time he said, I saw a cloud, but it's the size of a man's hand. And what did he tell him? He said, go run and tell the king that there's a flood, there's a rain that's about to come. He said, for even now I hear the abundance of rain. All there was in the sky was a little cloud the size of a man's hand. But the prophet heard an abundance of rain. I want to ask you this morning, have you walked in here this morning going, oh, we're just going to go 
cooked her, sing a few songs, and then we're going to go home and eat barbecue and blah, 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 blah. No, I'm here to tell you there is a voice from heaven that is speaking. There is a God who is moving, and the church, the church needs to begin to speak forth and prophesy. I hear the wind of the Spirit beginning to blow, beginning to move, beginning to work its way across this land so that for the next couple of minutes as the worship team keeps playing, I want us to come in agreement. Those of you who are believers, the Bible says by faith we declare things. By faith. It's not what I feel. It's not what I can see. Faith is the substance of things. Look for the evidence of things not seen. God's word, he said, I will move in the last days. I will pour out my spirit and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and young men shall have visions. That is the word of God. So I want us to prophesy. I want us to begin to speak forth right now more than just words of a song. I want the redeemed to begin to speak forth. God, we hear the abundance of wind. We hear the breath of the Spirit moving. We hear the Word of God going forth, not only locally, Lord, but all across this nation. Father, the enemy's on a rampage because he knows his time is short, and he's trying to deceive his church, the church, into believing that the end has no hope. But God, you are the God of hope. You are the one who according to what God says. There is a wind beginning to blow, beginning to shift, beginning to change that thing right before your eyes. It's happening even now. You're not aware of it because God deals with the heart. God deals with the heart of individuals. And when he deals with the heart, then comes the outward change. You're looking for the outward change. I'm telling you, God's moving. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are right now, but you need to begin to prophesy. When the enemy comes and tells you there's no hope for this, there's no hope for reconciliation, there's no hope for this, you need to begin to prophesy to that very thing that this is what the word of the Lord says. And I declare that my God is true. He is not a man that yes, he Lord. should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent from what he has said. Therefore, I bring my mouth and my faith into alignment with what God's word said. God, we prophesy. The wind of the Spirit is blowing 
is blowing, is blowing, is blowing. Let's sing it now. Come on now, let's sing it like you mean it. Let's sing that. we just pray right now let there be a shaking in the Acadiana area a shaking caused by the rumbling of your spirit let there be an awakening Lord in the churches of Acadiana from the pulpit to the pews Lord God let the fire of the Spirit of the Lord, let the wind and the breath of His Spirit be heard. Let there be a holy unction once again pronounced from your pulpits. God, there is a dearth, there is a hunger across the land for the Word of God and for the breath and move of your Spirit. God, we pray right now for Acadiana. We pray right now for our our homes, our towns, our cities. We pray right now, God, let there be a fresh wind of your spirit, an outbreak of heavens. Yes, an outbreak of heavenly interactions in the lives of individuals. God, if you can take the man's saw who was on his way to persecute and put to death those who were followers of the way. And you can stop him in his path and change his life. God, how many souls are there in the Acadiana area? That God, if you would intervene right now, begin to work in their life, there would be an absolute breakout of heaven in this area. 
a bonfire of the Spirit as you break out in churches all across this area. A light so bright that those from the furthest darkness are drawn to it. And there you bring salvation and transformation. We pray this in the name of Jesus God and we prophesy it not only just today, this morning, but we now put it in our daily vocabulary that as we agree together the bible says we're two or three agreed together concerning any one thing it shall be done how many of you are willing to prophesy and every day be reminded to speak forth that which god has said amen amen hallelujah Pastor praise god. the lord yes can i share something real quick yeah pastor bob a bunch of us that like to play golf but that's not the point i'm trying to get to he sent me a video the other day and this is for a couple of people in particular the lord's telling me it was this young golfer he gets up to the tee box he hits the ball trying to get it as close as he could the thing was the ball took flight and it went straight into the hole it didn't hit the flag it didn't hit around and roll in. It darted into the hole directly. Now, this is what the Holy Spirit showed me. I sent back to Pastor Bob. I said, that's wrong in so many ways as a joke. And as soon as I did, the Holy Spirit rejected and just said, no, you're thinking wrong. I said, but it was a video. This is the point the Holy Spirit showed me. A lot of us, many times, we need miracles. He showed me we're just throwing darts around the hole. We're not throwing them in the hole. Yeah. And there are some people this morning that definitely need a definitive miracle to take place in your life. And the Lord says, quit throwing the darts around. Quit hitting the ball to the green. Hit it into the hole. And if you're needing that miracle this morning, if Pastor Bob allows, please move out. Come to the front. Let the leadership pray for you because I'm telling you, your miracle will be met. Quit throwing darts and throw it directly into the hole. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. If, if you're in need of a miracle, you need God to do a miracle in your life, but you are willing to see that God is going to do it. You're con you know. I'm telling you, you come. We're going to pray for you. Come on, quick. Who else? Who else?
if you're new here, you would know, you don't know, I'm going to tell you that in most churches, they'll pass an offering basket or a bag or a bucket or who knows what they do. You know, I, I've seen one church where they just come up and throw it all over the, all over the platform. I'm not in for that. And, um, but uh, we don't do that unless it's a special offering. And I do want to thank you for those of you who gave to uh, um, uh, Bob and Lisa Holloway last week, our missionaries to Peru. Thank you. We were able to bless them with a very, a very good um, honorarium uh, uh, for their for their mission for their time here. And I had more compliments, more people who just really enjoyed his ministry and the stories that he told and everything else, how God is working. So we thank you for that. But having said that, we do believe in paying tithes and giving of offerings and so there are two offering boxes on the back wall there are envelopes in the seats and at the boxes if you want to do it that way there's an app that you can download for your smartphone uh, there's a text to give feature and also the website and you can do it that way and um, somebody uh, texted me this week uh, when do we get our giving receipt they were sent out a long time ago so if you didn't get, uh, if you did it all, if you gave all your giving online, through online, you, you should have received an email, okay? Um, Tithely would have sent out an email to you. Uh, if you gave online or in person or both, then you should have received it by mail. And if you didn't get it by mail, let us know. We'll print one out and get it to you. Maybe the mailing address we have is different. Maybe you've moved. I don't know. Uh, but we want to let you know those were sent out, but we can reprint you a copy if necessary. And um, so I want to go into this series, and I want you to watch this 30-second video again that we started on five weeks ago. It's a time-lapse photography of a monarch butterfly, a caterpillar going to become a butterfly. It's being transformed. I know it's kind of weird, isn't it? Hey, God created it. God came up with the idea. God said, I'll, I'll give him something to think about. <laughs> he said, besides, some preacher's going to need a sermon illustration sometime. <laughs> yeah. I want us to read from Romans chapter 6. I love the book of Romans. Um, when I was a young believer... Um, I came across a little pamphlet written by the late David Wilkerson, and uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it was, it was on the book of Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, the whole thing. And it dealt with this struggle, this like uh, tug of war that goes on inside of us. And so I want to read from Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 15. It says, well then... Since God's grace has set us free from the law, the law being the Old Testament rules that you had to follow, and the law was if you broke one law, you were guilty of all of them. Imagine that. Imagine getting pulled over because you're speeding down the road. And the guy writes you, and you're thinking he's going to write me a ticket, and he goes, get out of the car, you're going to jail. Why am I going to jail? You committed murder. You committed, you robbed a bank. You did this, you did, I didn't do any of that. I just speak. In the Old Testament, if you broke one law, you were guilty of all of them. So he says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Many Christians today are shocked that's in the Bible. 
<laughs> it goes on, it says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now, say now. Now you are free from the slavery of sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Again, that verse would blow most church people out of the water because they do not understand that. We started a series called Spiritual Transformation, and this is the fifth part of that. I really thought it would only be two or three parts. There's two or three more still before I think we get to a place we can stop. But that video you just watched is what biologists call metamorphosis. And that is the process of transformation from an immature form, I underline that, immature form to an adult form in two or more distinct stages. So what are we talking about? In other words, there's an immature form, there's a mature form, and stages means it doesn't just happen like that. There's a process, okay? And, and, and we're talking about spiritual transformation. Now, realize something. In the simplest form, the same DNA that was in that green caterpillar is transformed and into, in that butterfly. The same DNA. But it doesn't look anything like what it used to look like. Okay? And so transformation defined is a thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. In other words, there's, there's so, it's so dramatic that you can't even imagine what it used to be. That's what God's wanting to do. And that is, this is by nature the greatest picture of what God wants to do in all of us. In the past few weeks, we've identified that through Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and his resurrection, those people who repent of their sins and turn to Christ, they're now in good standing before a holy God. We've learned that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Advocate is the word for attorney. In other words, we have an attorney with, with the Father in heaven. And that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But more than that, he wants to purge us of, of the nature, of the things inside of us that are causing us to sin. And, but here's the thing, because we're forgiven doesn't mean that we never struggle with the issues in life. How, do, how many of you in here have, have uh, come to know the Lord, let's say, in the last two years? Just raise your hand. Anyone? How about the last five years? I'm not, it's not, it's not nothing to be ashamed of. Everybody's, if I, if I said I got $100 in my pocket, who wants us? You know, everybody's hand would be me, 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 you know. Like, come on down, you know. How many of you in the last 10 years? How about 20 years? How many of you following Christ 30 years or more? 
Yeah, look at that. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Incredible, it, it is. The thing is, I don't care if it's been 30 days or 30 years, we all still struggle at times, and, and a lot of the times the struggle, I'm convinced, is because we fail to recognize what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's what this is all about. In Romans chapter 7, verse 19, it, Paul, Paul the apostle, who wrote two-thirds or more of the New Testament, he says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I don't know about you, this is one of the most encouraging scriptures in the Bible to me. If Paul, the apostle, wanted to do what was right, but didn't, and the things he, wanted, he didn't want to do, he's doing, then it doesn't shock God at all that I do that sometimes too. Or you do that. Come on, look at your neighbor and go, you know he's talking to you. He's talking to you. But just because we, we admit that, just because we admit it, what does it say? Do we keep on sinning? Because we're just going to go ahead and sin anyway. It is not a license to keep sinning against God. Why? Because we are called to be transformed, to be changed, to such a major change that they don't even see the old person that we used to be, the way that we used to be. It's dramatically changed. In Ephesians 4 and 1, we've read this. It says, Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In other words, he's saying to us, I want you to live out or literally walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In other words, let your lips and your life match. Let them match. It's a practice of being other-centered, Christ-centered relationships that we should be humble, gentle, patient, bear with one another, make every effort to do all that. You know, I was thinking about that this week. I said, we didn't talk about this last week because Bob Holloway was here. And I thought, okay, let's do a checkup. <laughs> uh, see how we're doing. Uh, so... Let me just ask a few questions. Don't raise your hand. And don't look at your neighbor. Was I proud and selfish at any time this past week? Was I demanding and harsh? Was I impatient and angry? Ooh. I can see the taillights of that car last night that cut me off. I'm telling you, I had to make a midnight run to Walmart because we didn't have enough of something for the barbecue this morning, the, the bags. And I said, oh, and they pulled out in front of me and I slammed on my brakes and they looked at me and never mind. It wasn't a wave, I'm sure. Was I critical or judgmental? Was I slothful or disengaged? You say, why is that even important? Because here's the, here's the truth. Every one of us in this room, if we're honest, probably have done some of those things or something else. 
that causes us to fall short, to miss the mark. In fact, the, the word for sin, harmarsia har means to miss the mark. It's like aiming at the target and it going over there. I remember a Charlie Brown cartoon where he was just shooting arrows at the fence and then he'd go and draw a bullseye around it. And Lucy walks up and goes, Charlie Brown, that's not the way you shoot the arrows. He said, yeah, but this way I'm always guaranteed a bullseye. Some of us are like our lives that way. We just go, oh, messed up. Bullseye, you know, way over here. Bullseye, way over here. And targets here. This is where we're supposed to be going. Just because we've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of his near, dear son, it doesn't mean that we don't have any more problems. I may be forgiven, but I'm not made perfect yet in, in my lifestyle, okay? And so much of that, it comes because we fail to understand I wish somebody had taught me this when I was so much younger in the Lord. We failed to understand what Christ did for us. In Romans chapter 7, verse 23 through 25, Paul again is writing. He says, but I see another law at work in me. In other words, I see something working in my life, okay? Uh, um, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Again, this is the Apostle Paul. He's saying, I'm struggling with this thing that's going on. He goes, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's two questions that come up. And the first one is, how did Jesus conquer, conquer sin, and how does that apply to me? Because we think Jesus did it because he was the Son of God. But we're going to see in a moment, he was, as, he was fully God, and he was fully man. And then if, if Jesus set the example, and Paul tells us that's, that's the only answer, that we need to live that way too, where do I get the power to change and how does it really work? Don't just tell me it's out there and then I got to go out there and find it. I mean, that's, that's not the way I want to live. See, I don't want to read about people who walked in victory. I don't want to read about people who had God in their life that just God did tremendously. I want to live it. The Apostle Paul says the problem's not him. He wants to live this way, but there's something waging war inside of him. And, and so that second question is, where do we get that power from? Again, Ephesians 4, 7 through 10, look at this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Therefore, he says... When he ascended on high, he led a captive, a host, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that also he descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also he who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. When, when you and I understand what happened to Jesus from the time that he died and gave up the ghost on the cross, his spirit left him, to the time that he was resurrected and came out of the grave, 
you will then understand the secret, if I can put it that way. I, I don't think it's a secret. It's just that people don't read it. They don't look at it. They don't want to understand it. But you will understand how to deal with the problem of sin and how to put that into practice. Not just identify it, because if you're just going to tell me what it is, I already know what it is. It's, Paul says it's working in my body. It's natural to me. You don't have to teach a person how to sin. We, we know how to do that. Some of you get five stars. <laughs> you know, out of five. You know, you're, you know, I mean, and that shouldn't be. And we say, but I've tried. If you've ever said, I've tried, listen to me. Ephesians 4 and 7. Again, go back to what it says, and I've underlined this. But grace was given to each one of us. Grace was given to each one of us. God didn't leave any Christian, any believer out. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the gift of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That was the gift of God, his son, Jesus Christ. And so that this grace, this grace here, when we think of the word grace, I don't know what you think of, but I, I think of thankfulness, I think of mercy. I think when I hear grace a lot of times, I think of gracefulness, you know, beauty, that all of those kinds of things. But the word here for grace is a different word. It means favor. It means kindness, but it really emphasizes the word favor. And, and, and the other way I know how to explain that is it's like an endowment. Okay, you say, what's an endowment? How many of you have ever read about some rich person somewhere who in, left an endowment to a university or to an organization like a, well, I, I read the other day of a person who recently died, was wealthy, and left like $8 billion to his alma mater. $8 billion. I don't even know how much that is. I mean, I know on numbers how much it is. I just can't imagine, you know, eight of them. <laughs> yeah. So this grace that each of us has been given to is an endowment. It's a gift. It's an award. It's a legacy. And this isn't the grace that, we, that they brought us salvation per se. It's an endowment. It's a gift given according to the measure of Christ's gift. How much did Christ give? 100%. He gave his all. He laid down his life for every one of us. So therefore, God has given us grace, an endowment that's as big as that. And then he goes on to show how we receive this gift through Jesus Christ. How do we do it? There's three phrases that we read. He led captive a host of captives. He, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is also he who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all those things. What Paul is describing in this passage is what happened between the time Christ gave up 
his go- the ghost, the spirit, his last breath, and from the time that he rose from the dead. That, that time from Good Friday to Easter morn or whatever you, you figure that three days is. In fact, he's actually quoting Psalm 68 and 18. So let me give you an example, because I remember the first time I came across this 20-something years ago, it blew my mind. Uh, because I was reading, I was doing a deep dive in the book of Colossians, and I came across this verse I'm going to show you in a minute. But I found out it's in several places throughout the scripture. In ancient times, there were battles and wars. It may be a battle between a city and a neighboring city, or like a king and another king, or, you know, whatever, Okay. And and when there's going to be a war or a battle, there's going to be a loser and there's going to be a winner, right? I mean, they fought till the end. There wasn't no draw, you know. And when the, once the battle was over or the war was over, the commander of the winning army would lead a parade of the host of the defeated soldiers and their officers, and the winning general would enter maybe his home city, for example. Maybe he was riding a chariot or a white horse or whatever. It doesn't matter. He's at the head of the parade, if we can put it that way. And, and behind him would be all of his soldiers dressed in their battle gear, dressed in their best outfits, because they're, they're, they're parading in as victors. They have defeated the enemy, and our general, our leader, our captain, whoever it is, he's at the head. But behind the army would come the captives, and they would be humiliated foes, okay? You, you see in this, okay? And they would be either in chains, or and they would be stripped to the waist and chained, and sometimes depending on who it was, they would even strip them completely naked and make them march into the city of the winning army, the general, whatever. Why would they do that? Because walking into the city in that way humiliated and demoralized the the, the victims, the ones who lost. Imagine you're, you're, you're in the city where the general has won the army, and as as this defeated foe comes in, then they're chained. They're not with weapons. They're not any. They're stripped and they're they're humiliated, and the people are jeering at them. I picture them throwing tomatoes and you know who knows what, you know, laughing at them and mocking them, and they're being dragged. They don't have any choice. They're being marched through the streets. And, and, and they would be humiliated as they passed droves and droves of people. And then, after them, would come something else. And that's the spoils. You've heard that phrase, the spoils of war. In other words, the conquering army, uh, they would parade the camels and the horses and the donkeys and the livestock. Everything they took that belonged to the, the other king or the other general or whatever. They would also show the jewels and the silver and the gold that would be shown. And the spoils of the war would be, would be divided usually. And, and um, the king or emperor would obviously get a large portion of that. 
but then oftentimes they would give a portion of that to the army, those who survived, those who had won the battle. You reward them for, for what they've done because you may have to go to war again. And then oftentimes the, the people of the city where the, they're, they're, all this is being shown, maybe something would be given to them. And uh, so sometimes maybe, maybe a woman who's watching it, somebody would reach over and pull out a bracelet or something and hand it to them. And, and hand it to her, and she would have part of the spoils of war. Or maybe somebody, a friend, uh, let's say a ranking officer, saw a friend of his in the line and, and called out that a, a, a horse or an oxen be given to him as part of the spoils of war. What was, what's the point of that? It, because every time that person would look at that bracelet or that horse or donkey or whatever, they would be reminded that there had been a great victory. You following me? In Luke chapter 16, and I'm not going to read it because we don't have time for it, this, the Bible, Jesus tells us of two places for those who died before Christ um, and, and died, and, uh, before, they died before Christ died and was resurrected, okay? In the Old Testament, we learn this. And the first place is hell. And is, it is the, the holding place of the wicked dead, okay? Those who are wicked. Then there was paradise, which is the place of the righteous dead. I should have put up there the righteous dead, not righteous people, but righteous dead. In other words, those who died before Christ died, they were unable to enter into heaven. In, in the Hebrew, it's known as... as um, uh, Jacob's bo uh, Abraham's bosom and, and so uh, Jesus even talked about this he talked about a, a poor man named Lazarus and a rich man and how there was a great gulf that se separated them and, and um, this is important to understand so what happens the Bible says what we read about the ascending, descending all of that stuff see usually we read that and we just skip past it because we don't understand it but if you don't understand it, you're missing the key that unlocks the power to overcome sin in your life. So Jesus goes down into hell, the place of the wicked, and he makes a pronouncement. And then he goes to the place of paradise, and he preaches the gospel to those who have been looking forward to and trusting in. How do we know that? If you remember the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is there and all of a sudden Moses and Elijah come and they're talking to him about his upcoming death. They've been waiting for him to come. They, the people in paradise have been waiting. Why? Because they were righteous according to the law. They lived, but they were not able to enter in because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And God's not going to allow something into heaven that's just covered over. He wants it erased. Okay? And so he, so the Bible says he then leads captive those who are in paradise to heaven. In fact, when he appears, Mary comes to the tomb and, and she realizes the man she's talking to is Jesus. She goes to touch him. And what does he say? Don't touch me yet, for I have not yet ascended. 
In other words, he, he said, I know they're bothered. I know they're upset. They found that the tomb's empty. Let, let me, if I can put it this way, can I paraphrase this? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus goes, one moment, Father. Mary, I'm, I'm alive. Go tell my disciples I'm going to meet them. I'll be there shortly because I have to finish something first. And he takes those who were captive and leads them into paradise. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 and 19 says, For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Who's the unjust? We are. Who's the just? He is. The just for the unjust. So why? So that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. In other words, those who were in captive, who were in paradise, were yet able to go to heaven. When the thief on the cross looked at Jesus and said, forgive me, what did Jesus say? Today you shall be with me in paradise. Why didn't he say heaven? Because he wasn't going to heaven. He was going to paradise to set them free and bring them out, those souls out, and bring them into the very presence of God. But Jesus first descends into the pit of hell. Now they've been having a party. They've crucified the Lord Almighty. They thought this was all great. And Jesus goes down and makes a pronouncement to them, you lost. And they're looking at him going, how did we lose? We killed him. He, he's dead. He's in a tomb. How did we lose? But Jesus is always in the present. He's always there. The future's present in him. The past is present in him. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He said, you've lost. Why? Because the Bible says if they had known that Christ would be risen from the dead, they would have never crucified the king of glory. God hid it from them. But Jesus understood it, and he makes that statement, you've lost. And when he rises from the dead, he defeats Satan, he defeats death, he defeats the power of sin, and he defeats the penalty of sin. Now, this is what I want to get to. Not only that, Jesus humiliates Satan in front of his whole demonic army. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, speaking of Christ, and having disarmed authorities and powers. What's he talking about? In the book of Ephesians, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness and rulers in high places. He's talking about governmental regimented power in the kingdom of darkness. And Peter tells us that he disarmed those authorities and those powers and he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them by the cross. It's done. He's won. Imagine when word gets back to Satan on resurrection day, he's alive. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive. I can hear the words echoing through the chambers of darkness and everybody's, 
What do you mean he's alive? No, he's in the grave. He said, hey, grave, you let him out? No, I didn't let him out. I, I mean, death, did you? No, no, I killed him. I killed him, grave. I, I put him in your hand. The Bible says he took the keys of death, hell, in the grave, and he came out, and he was alive. What did he do by doing that? He humiliated. He made a show of them. Who's them? The authorities and powers of darkness. He by triumph over them through the cross. He humiliated Satan. He humiliated the, the demons of darkness. Why do you think he hates you so much? You who have the spirit of God inside of you, this treasure that is in this earth investment, why do you think he hates you? Because he wants to keep you from understanding that you are a partaker, a, a partner, if I can put it that way, in the very nature of God, not that you are God, I'm not saying that. Don't go out here and say, Pastor Bob said we're gods. No, we're not. If I said that, we're false gods. But what I'm saying is the transformed nature of who Christ, who defeated death, hell, and the grave, and the power of sin and the penalty of sin. How many of you know that through Christ, the penalty of sin has been canceled out? I do not worry at night when I sleep if my sins are forgiven because they were put on him on the cross and he paid the righteous price for my sins. But there's more to it than that. In John chapter 5, verse 24, it says, Verily, verily, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That doesn't mean in the hereafter. That means in the now, now, now. You've already crossed over. And so what Jesus preached, Paul's just simply trying to explain to us. He's trying to say, understand what I have done and what I've given you. I've, the gift of God, the grace of God, he's given to you concerning the power and the tempt, of temptation and the power of sin. It's been nullified. But if we believe that it, it's not, if it's not been nullified, that Christ hasn't overcome, well, he overcame it, but you know, I'm not Jesus. We're living on excuses that are nullified by what Jesus Christ did. Okay, so some of you, I'm almost done. Some of you are looking at me like, Pastor Bob, in the beginning you had me when you were talking about overcoming sin in your life. You hooked me with that. The sin, sin thing kind of lost me. I hope it didn't. Because it is the key. It is the basis of your victory over sin. See, the devil, your job is not to defeat the devil. He's already defeated. In the same, how many of you believe that? I hope you do. Because that's what the Bible says. Christ made a show of him openly. Christ defeated the devil. 
And, and somehow we think that we got to be in this wrestling match, this fighting match, this cage match with the devil. No, 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 no. Paul says, don't give him a place. Don't give him a foothold. Don't give him a place. He didn't say go in the cage and fight him. See, this is the basis of our victory over sin. And most Christians don't understand what's been accomplished for them. They, they, theologians like to make things really complicated and make them sound real important. I remember many years ago when word processors first came out and computer, personal computers and stuff like that, I would write out my notes of my sermon and then uh, I'd write out the, my sermon and then I would make an outline and everything else. And, and, and they, they used to have a thing on there that you could check um, the level of your grammar and, and structure and it would tell you like... Uh, 12th grade, 9th grade, college level, whatever. And I would rework that sermon over and over until it hit the highest it would go. Like, you know, college degree level, whatever. And I'd go, ha, ha, ha. And, and I was pastoring a church out in the country. And one day the Holy Spirit said, who are you trying to impress? I said, well, Lord, I want it to be good. He said, consider your audience. He said, what did the people say about my teaching? We, it was so simple, but powerful. We've never heard teaching like this. Why? Because they've been hearing the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who made it so hard that nobody could enter in, Jesus said. You've made it so hard nobody could possibly enter in. And I said, oh, Jesus, forgive me. I went on a fast that week and repented. And after that, I, I realized that the Reader's Digest I read was written on a fourth grade comprehension level because they said that was the average reading comprehension for most of America. I was like, wow, that was a long time ago. Fourth grade would probably be 10th grade around now, but you know, you know did I get that right? Yeah. And um, so... I would write my messages out and I'd run it and they'd go, 12th grade, no, we got to get it down. We got to get it down. We got to get it down. And I'd get it down to where I said, I, wanna, I don't want it to be theologically, you know, way out there. I want, how does this apply to me? How does this help me be a better Christian tomorrow and the day after and the week after that? See, if we just believe it's about what Jesus did for him, then we're going to try and do what Jesus said, and we're going to constantly fail. And there is, that is not fun. It's like being on a sports team that has never won a game. I, read, I saw a movie the other day, of a true story of a, of a soccer team in their history had never won a game. And they hire a new coach who, who got kicked out. At, they said, what's the goal? Win one game. I thought, that's the goal? If you've never won a game, one game, that's a lot. <laughs> right? You don't want to go for Never won a game. We want to be undefeated. Well, that's probably not going to happen overnight. Okay? You see, but if you're, if you're constantly being defeated by sin, and oftentimes it's the same thing. 
Same thing. You say, I'm not going to lose my cool this week. I'm going to stay calm. I'm going to be cool. I'm going to guard my mouth. And before you know it, you are chewing somebody out, raising voice, screaming and yelling. And then you go, oh, no, I wasn't going to do that. It's already Monday. I got to wait till Sunday. And after a while, you just say, I quit. It's not worth it. See, it's like being a lamp that has the ability to light a room. Or, or how about one of those self-propelled lawnmowers? You know, remember when those first came out and you'd start it up? I remember put, when I started, put, when I cut grass as a kid, we didn't have no engine on ours. It just had them blades that rolled around like that and you just push it. And, and I learned you don't let the grass get too high too fast because otherwise you're doing this, you know, trying to get through it, you know. And, uh, but when self-propelled mowers came out, that's cool. You started it up. But and when you engage that handle, something would engage the wheels and it would just go. Man, and you're like, oh, baby, we live in now. I mean, I'm giving my age away a little bit there. But I mean, believe me, when that came out, that was, that was big, man. I mean, and well, I, I thought the lawnmower that had the, you just, you, you just, uh, had this thing that you turn like this and then you push the button down and it would start. You didn't have to do this. You know, I could, I said, that was great. But man, self-propelled. I said, dad, we need a self-propelled. He said, we got one. You're it. You know, and, uh, but I remember my, I went to my neighbor's house. They had one of them new self-propelled and man, he, his house was on a hill like this and he's just going right along. And I thought, how do you do that? Cause it's pulling, it's doing all the work. Try and push a self-propelled mower. It don't work. It's not made to function that way. Because it's engaging the wheels. And the wheels don't want to turn. And you're like, come on. If you don't plug the lamp in or engage the handle, it's not going to turn out well. And if you're a Christian... And you don't understand the spiritual transformation and what Jesus did for you, then if you don't understand that he defeated Satan, he defeated death, he gave new life to those who believe and follow him, if you don't know that and you're not walking in it, it's not going to turn out well for you. So real quick, I'm going to give you three facts three and three three possibilities that you need to understand, or three principles. And the first one is this, that transformation always begins with truth. I guess just stop right there. In the same manner that you are saved by faith, you are transformed in the same way, by faith. Okay? And the application is very simple. The way you were born again into this new life by faith through grace is the same grace through faith as how you live the Christian walk. I didn't work to get saved. I didn't earn to, get saved, to come to Christ. I believed and I received. And the application is simple. That, to, that I have, through Christ, sin has no power over me. The power to live a new life was made by his death and his resurrection. We read it earlier in Colossians 2, 13 to 15. The Bible says our sins were nailed to the cross. Jesus disarmed the demonic powers, the demonic armies, and he made a public spectacle of them. Yes, 
Are they still out there? Yes. Do we still battle with flesh in this lifetime? Yes. But listen, it isn't your willpower that gives you the victory. The victory over the power of sin has already been broken. So why do Christians struggle so much? Why do people, I hear it all the time, Pastor, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this. Why are they struggling? Because people, most of the time, people struggling with sin are almost always not reading their Bible. Almost always. Those who read it on a regular basis are renewing and changing their thinking process. And they find that less and less and less, the sins that once bound them are, are no longer having control. And they're beginning to experience genuine breakthroughs. If you're not reading and studying and meditating on the scripture, Listen, you cannot be a Christian who lives like a Christian. You will be a Christian who lives like the world. And God help you when you stand before him. Because there will be those who say, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did this, we did this, we did this. He said, I never knew you'd be gone from me. And they were cast in the outer darkness. If you are not reading the Bible and studying it, and when I say studying, I'm just saying digesting it. What is it saying? And I've told you this before. It's not a matter of how many chapters you can read in one day per se. Take a section of that. And, and, and you know, if it's a, a section, you know, and like in the Gospels, it'll say Jesus talks about this. And then it's like several verses. Stop. What did it say? What's the one thing that stood out in my mind? What's the one thing that applies to my life? What's the, what's the one way I can make this go to work in me? That's more powerful than reading nine chapters and not understanding a thing you read. You'll never know the power over Satan, demonic spirits, or temptation apart from this world. So transformation always begins with the truth. The second thing is, we become partakers of Christ's victory over sin, death, and Satan the moment we receive Christ into our lives. The moment. The moment. People are always saying, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to volunteer more. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do... That's not how you get victory. You need to understand you're just going to keep failing and falling. Romans 6, 5 through 11, I'll read it fast. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know, we know, no, no, not know like no, but we understand, we know. This is the problem, we don't know. If we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Listen, I don't mean to be morbid, but go down and get a cadaver from the funeral home. Stand them against that wall. You probably have to prop them up. And try and tempt them. It ain't gonna happen. That dead man's dead. 
Nothing you nothing. I don't care what you think of the greatest temptation in the world. That dead man ain't gonna move. He is not moved by that. Do you understand what I'm saying? He, so Paul is saying because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We died in Christ and we now live unto Christ. We died in our sin. We live unto Christ. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. It has no power. You say, well, well then why am I tempted? Good question. Why? What are you feeding yourself? What are you putting inside? What are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you doing? Listen, I'm just telling you. It says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to him. And it goes on and says, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death had, no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, go back to it, in the same way, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ. That's it, right there. That's the key to understanding this. You have to understand. Let me show you an illustration real quick, and then we'll close. Hope this works. I didn't have a little table, so I'm going to bring it over here and pray I don't break this because my wife will kill me. This is hers. All right, there's a vase with some water in it. You see that? Okay, for those of you in the back row, you may not be able to see this, but this is a stainless steel bolt. Okay, this is you. <laughs> this is you before Christ. So I don't look like that. She before Christ, just understand that, okay? It's metal. It has certain properties. Apart from Christ... You have a certain nature. You have certain properties. There is this law, universal law in this world called gravity. Anybody know what that is? Anybody ever fall down? Meet gravity. Okay? If I were to take this bolt that is made of metal, that it has a certain nature and properties about it, and it represents you before Christ. And I drop this in the water. What do you think will happen? Congratulations, you're right. You get a star. Okay? It sank. This is a transformed you after Christ. It has a nature. It has a substance and everything else, but it represents you and Jesus Christ who is fully man and fully God. He died and he was resurrected again. And when he was resurrected, he was resurrected with a different nature. He was resurrected with a glorified body. The Bible speaks of flesh and bone 
uh, flesh and blood. But when it speaks of Christ's resurrection, it says flesh and bone. Because life is in the blood. But when he was resurrected, it was not blood that gave him life. It was the nature of God, the glory of God. This represents a transformed believer. You were once like that bolt sitting at the bottom of that vase with water. But if I take this transformed person after Christ, it doesn't sink. It floats. Why? Because its very nature has been dramatically changed. That is the point of spiritual transformation. If I keep trying to do it on my own, I will sink every time. If I believe by faith what God's word says, then I will have authority and live above my old nature, above the temptation of sin, above the power of sin. The application to number two is very simple. Can you change it for me there? The spiritual nature has changed. I have to believe that. So transformation always begins with truth. Our spiritual nature has changed because we, we are par, uh, uh, partakers with Christ. And the third thing is life change, transformation demands that we act on the truth. If, life be, if transformation begins with the truth, and the truth is that I am a partaker with Christ over the power of sin, death, hell, and the grave. Look, if I asked you, how many believers in here believe that when you die, you're going to heaven? Let me see your hands. Raise them up high. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for you for all of your sins? Raise your hands. How many of you believe that even if you die physically, that one day a trumpet will sound and the voice of the archangel and the voice of God will go forth and you will be raised and, and, and resurrected from the grave? How many believe that? Okay, same thing. Then how many of you believe that you presently have the power to live over the temptation of sin in your life? That was a lot more hands than I saw at the beginning. Life change demands that we act on the truth. You can't just say, I believe something, and you don't live that way. We can't say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and sin because I know I'm going to sin, and Jesus will forgive me. That's not transformed life. And the world is looking for those who can give them a hope out of the prison of sin that they're living in. People say to me, they'll say, oh, I'm into the Bible. I have an app, and it reads me a chapter every day, or it reads me three verses. And then on the way to work, I'm yelling, help me, God, 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 help me, God. I pray and read my Bible. Uh, no, <laughs> because then you're filling your mind the rest of the day with the pressures of this and that. You keep responding in unholy and ungodly ways and getting really frustrated and say things to God like this Christianity thing doesn't work. I remember hearing a guy one time says, well, I, I, I hear you. I, I think I'll kick the tires and try her out. I said, no, no, 
Keep on going. You don't try out Jesus. You don't kick the tires and like, if you don't like it, return it. No, no. When you are ready to surrender to God, until you get tired enough, it, change comes when the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change, then people are willing to change. And there's some people you've been praying for. I'm just going to tell you, I've prayed this way before. I've even prayed it with my children. God, if they're going to go off in rebellion, this was years ago, I said, if, if they're going off in rebellion, God, I pray for them that when they hit the wall, they find the cross. Let, you know, we don't want our children to hurt or suffer or whatever, and so we do everything to protect them. You're not protecting them. They need to come to a moment when they meet Christ, and they have to make a choice for their lives. You keep living the life. You keep showing them love. You keep preaching the gospel, sharing the word. But friends, don't enable them to keep going down that path. Application number three, we must live, put into action the word of God, the Bible. And I mentioned it earlier about prophesying. Speaking the word. You have to begin to speak the word. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness three times, what did he say each time? It is written, it is written, it is written. You have to speak the word concerning your situation. You have to begin to speak the word. And we started a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night, living out and living and walking in the faith promises of God. And how does that look like? Life change demands that we act on the truth. So we're going to pray right now. And we're going to ask you right now, where are you at on all these three levels? Where are you at in these three different things? Where are you at? I mean, think about it. Where, where are you? Are you ignoring the truth? Are you ignoring the truth? Are you trying to rewrite things for yourself? If you are born again through faith, you have to live it out in faith. And then you've got to put the word inside of you. And that word begins the transformation process. In that video, we saw that caterpillar. It was there for almost two weeks. And it went from this this green color to a dark color to an elongated thing then it began to break open and out came a monarch butterfly that word begins changing inside of us and if you're struggling with the same sin over and over and over and over and over and over again are you in the word you say well I don't have time everybody has time change your priorities When I was 15 years old, I wasn't going to tell you, I'll tell you real quick. I'll tell you the, the cliff note version of it. When I was 15 years old, I had started playing golf a little more than a year before. I started a golf team at my high school in California. And my goal was to become a professional golfer because I was already, even with cheap clubs and everything else, I was... I was playing at that level. 
During the summer months, I rode a 10-speed bicycle over 12 miles to the golf course to open up, unlock the gate for the golfers. I was going before sunrise. I'd unlock the gate. I'd go pull out golf carts, electric carts for the members. I'd pick up balls out on the driving range. I worked like crazy. And I would play almost 36 holes of golf a day walking because I wasn't allowed to drive a cart. At sunset, I would close the gate and the pro would say, see you tomorrow. And I'd get back on my 10-speed bike, ride 12 miles back home. And I did that every day. But in that time, I'd come to know Christ. But my goal was, I'm going to be a pro. I'm going to be a pro. Back then, if they won a tournament, they made like $10,000. Today, they make millions one game, one tournament. The Holy Spirit spoke to this little teenage boy and said, you've got a God that needs to go. I said, I don't have any gods before you. And then he showed me my whole life, my early Christian walk. He said, you got to decide between me and your golf game. I wrestled with God. And I said, okay, I'll just do it three times a week. Well, I started with five, went down to three, then two. God said, no, give it up. I said, God, my dad's not going to understand this. I'm trying to win him to you, Lord. He's not going to understand this. He said, give him it up. So I went to my mom. told me I needed to. Jesus told you. Jesus told you. Oh my goodness. Now he's hearing voices. I said, I'm sorry, but I have to. He said, why? I said, because it's more important to me than anything else. And I want Jesus to be number one. And I went and hung my clubs in the shed on the back of our carport. And I looked at them, I remember patting the bag, thinking, I'll never touch them again. There were times during that time that somebody would invite me to go play putt-putt golf. Nope, I'm done. But I said, I ain't touching clubs, I ain't touching clubs. And I said, I'm done. Months went by, a year went by, a year and a half. You know what? I spent all that time that I would have been doing that other stuff. Almost all of it was in the Word. My life changed. It literally changed. A hunger for God just grew and grew and grew and grew. I could not get enough of the Word and Him and the Spirit of God, all of that. Then one day my dad came in griping and complaining and he said well there goes my golf game because on Saturdays you had to have a foursome and one of the guys couldn't go so now he's down to three he said well if my holier than thou son would play golf we'd have four but oh excuse me God told him not to play he's doing all that just with me and him in the room nobody else and I heard the Holy Spirit say 
tell him you go play. I said, get behind me, Satan. I'm not going out there. I hung up them clubs. But I heard the Holy Spirit speak and say, tell him you'll go play. I said, God, I can't tell him I'll go play. I told him I was never going to touch another club again. Why, how, can, how can I possibly go play? He said, do you care if you go play? I said, no, I don't. But I'd rather not go play. I'd rather stay home. And he said, it's not important to you anymore. Go play. Be a witness to your dad. So I walked in the room and told my dad, I said, I'll go play. I'll make the four. I thought God told you you could. I said, he told me I could for you. He just rolled his eyes. I thought, well, just let me know if you want to play. See, it didn't matter anymore. Why am I telling you that? I felt impressed to tell you that. God says there's got to be some changes or you're going to be living the same old, same old, same Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. You've got to make a change. So don't say there's no time. Make a change. Cut something out. Move it back. Get rid of it if you have to. I don't know. wants to bring transformation, life-giving transformation in you that is visible to your family, your friends, your workers, everyone. The decision is yours. So we're going to pray right now, and if you would just be honest and say, Pastor Bob, I want this transformation of God in my life but I realize knowing the truth is not enough I must act on it and this week I'm going to ask the Lord to show me what needs to change so that I can act on this truth if that's you just slip up your hand I'm not going to ask you to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hand back down. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have begun a good work in us. God, that work stops when we fail to cooperate with the work of your Spirit. Your Spirit was given that we might live and know and understand and walk in the victory that Christ has already paid for us. How silly it would be to think that someone paid for a gift for us, but we refuse to go pick up the gift. It's of no use if we leave it to the side. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for everyone who raised their hands right now. I pray for them. Holy Spirit, speak to them today and throughout this week. In the coming days, Father, speak to them. It may not be something right at this moment they're aware of, but something's going to happen or take place in the next few days, and they're going to realize, I need to address this. 
They're going to be tired of just saying, Father, forgive me of that sin. Father, forgive me of that sin. Father, forgive me of that sin. Father, please forgive me of that sin. Father, please forgive me of that sin. God, that we would move on past that to where we can live a life overcoming sin and the power and hold it has on us. Because Jesus already paid the price. We pray this in the mighty name
thank you for the truth that we are changed by faith in Christ. That which he accomplished has been passed on to us. It has been endowed to us. And it is up to us to use it, to act upon it. We thank you, Lord, that we have been changed. From glory to glory, your word says, you're changing us. From one level to another, to another, to another. God, that change will continue until we see you face to face. So Holy Spirit, we say, have your way in our lives. That Christ might be exalted in us and through us. In Jesus' name. Go in peace. God bless you. You, If you bought tickets, don't forget to pick up your meals. If you haven't bought tickets, they had some extras earlier. Into the broken, joy to those.